It's in the Hebrew Hall of Fame, chapter 11, that we read a summary about the life of a man named Moses. It's wrapped up in a very neat little package of four verses. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. We read that Moses chose affliction over pleasure, that he chooses reproach over riches. He recognizes in the midst of all that is around him in that wonderful, powerful, rich city of Egypt, he recognizes that the real reward doesn't come from the hand of Pharaoh. It's not amongst their civilization that's advanced and educated and, and uh, technologically superior. He, he recognizes that the real reward isn't going to come from around him. He forsakes Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And then it's summed up in these Four words, or sorry, three words, for he endured. For he endured. There's a colon there. It means that the previous verses all come down to this one summary. He did all of that. He accomplished all of that simply because he endured. I don't know if any of you have ever been in an endurance race or not. I've never been a cross-country runner. I was, uh, I was one that represented my my school in grade six to do a cross-country run. And, and I remember as we were there on, in Sussex, we were running the race somewhere near the Sussex High School. And the big field had been mowed. There was a path that was mowed through the field and down through the hill and around turns. And, and I remember as I was just a young boy, I, I had no one to train me. I didn't have a coach. Just somewhere uh, in the midst of our small little tiny school, someone said, well, I think Jack should run the, the cross-country race. And I, I remember sitting on that bus driving to Sussex thinking, what in the world am I doing here? I was old enough to know better, but still too young to care. At the ripe old age of 12, I had figured it out. And I, I remember at the Irving, Mama gave me a couple dollars. I picked up two chocolate bars. I thought that ought to do me. And long before I ever got to the race, I ate the chocolate bars. And I remember, <clears throat> there was nothing illustrious about this story. There's no, there's no good ending. If you're waiting for the turnaround, it's not coming. If you're, if you're wanting to see the picture of the trophy today, it's not there. Uh, it's just a memory. It's a memory of being the last in the pack. Actually, I was three people up in the pack, but <clears throat> somewhere near the end of the race, the two people that were behind me decided that they didn't want to face defeat at the finish line, and they just kind of fell off. And now I realize that there was only me and one other student before me. He was within <clears throat> distance, and I remember running with everything because I didn't want to look like the last, but I didn't want to quit. I'll give little Jackie Lehman that. I endured until the end. 
Thank you. That is the, that is the first applause I received for that race. In 38 years, I waited for the moment, and it came. For he endured. Moses, uh, I'll just say that Moses had a better track record than Jack. Moses, for he endured. He, he chose affliction over pleasure, reproaches over riches, real rewards. He recognized them. He forsook Egypt. But it's still, it, it's still a lot of life to sum up in four verses. I love that scripture doesn't lie, but I really appreciate the fact that God looks at us differently than we see ourselves. Because in Hebrews we see the beginning and the ending, but Exodus tells us the in-between, and that is a little bit more to the story. In, in that verse we see, in those verses we see Moses' triumph, but in Exodus we see the life of Moses. Not the hero, we see the man that walks and works and faces challenge. It said in Exodus chapter 2.15, Moses, now Moses is, is in a bad place. He has murdered an Egyptian. And Pharaoh heard the thing and, and he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh. You know, Hebrews says that, you know, he didn't fear, but Exodus tells us he was fleeing Pharaoh. And that he dwelt in the land of Midian and he sat down by a well. And, and God will use whatever means necessary to get you out of Egypt. Just be aware of that. Now I'm not talking about the current Egypt. I'm not talking about people there. I'm talking about ancient Egypt. The place that represented the conflict that presented itself to the people of God over and over and over again. It's Egypt that represents the world to the people of God. And, and for us the example that is placed in scripture is that we see that Egypt represents the place that we shouldn't be and shouldn't want to be. So we see this conflict that comes into Moses' life. He's the man that <clears throat> some of you remember with the power of that man. He was powerful. He was the one that God chose to use in that season. But before we get to that mighty man who stands before Pharaoh, we've got to see the man that's on the journey out of Egypt. Before he goes back to Egypt, we've, we've got to examine that man and God takes him to that difficult place called the desert. We talked a little bit last week about the desert not being there to destroy us. Well, I'd like to just give you the, the title early on in the sermon this morning. The, ti the, the, the title is this, that, come on, the desert will define you. The desert won't destroy you, but the desert will define you. There's something about the desert experiences that God brings us to that help us understand something about God and help us to understand something about ourselves. And God doesn't want us to live in that Egypt land. God wants us to be free from the bondage of Pharaoh. God doesn't intend for his people. The God, he's a God of liberty. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So God doesn't intend for us to live in bondage. God intends for us to live in freedom. God desires for us to have this liberty in our lives. And, and God is a God of freedom. And so he doesn't intend for Moses to live in Egypt. Even though he's got it good, he comes to the understanding that this isn't who I was called to be. Now he may be running at the time and he may be fearing his life. 
But really, it's God behind the scenes ordering everything. He, God is ordering his path. And, and, and some of you remember, if you just think back a little ways, you may have been in church for a while, but you remember when God began to order your path. He put people in your life that at first they were just a little bit odd. But as time turned the corner, you began to see that God had them there to bring you into salvation, to bring you into the church, to, to bring you into a life of liberty. God loved you enough not to leave you in Egypt. And he, he began to order the path of your life so that you would come into liberty. Anybody remember the conviction that God began to, you couldn't, you couldn't continue the way that you had begun. You, you couldn't walk the way that you used to walk. All of a sudden, the things that you were doing were no longer acceptable in your own mind. God began to work on you. His word began to open something in your life. You may have heard a sermon on the radio or watched a sermon on TV or maybe it was online. I don't know how God ordered your path, but here's what I know. God will place opportunity in people's life. And if you hear it and if you walk into it, God has a purpose waiting for you. So don't resist the call that God is placing. And, and you may think it's crazy right now. That's all right. You may say, well, you don't know what I've got to give up to go that way. It's all right. Just keep on hearing the voice of God. Just keep on listening because God is putting you on a path that's going to bring you into liberty. God is going to open a door and is going to use you greatly. I love, I love it when God begins to work in lives. And, uh, and I love it when, when people, they're just kind of, they, they've got it all together. They think and, and God's just, just moving them around on the chessboard. God's just placing them in the place they never thought they would be, but he's ordering their steps. I tell you, if you seek God, if you truly desire for God to work in your life, God's going to begin to make a way in the middle of no way. He's going to begin to prepare a path that wasn't even there. Come on, the, the, the forest is going to seem like the trees just opened up and, and you're able to walk through. That's what God will do if you want God to work in your life. That's the power of the word of God. When you begin to respond to it, there isn't anything that can keep you from God's purpose. You, anybody remember that? Any testimonies in the room that say, Pastor Jack, I know exactly what you're talking about. We could get caught up there, but I believe that God's taken us somewhere this morning. That's why the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Because God does this work of separation. He calls us out. And as we begin to walk into God's purpose and walk into God's plan, God makes a way. God makes a way. And, and it's happening for, for, for Moses. He, he thinks he's fleeing, but God's really preparing. He thinks he's running from Pharaoh, but God's really, he's just got the path ready for Moses to walk into. And the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 2 that, that in verse 16, the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came to draw water. And who's there at the well? Moses is there at the well. They come to water their father's flock. Verse 17, the shepherds come. These shepherds, this must be the, the routine for their day. They wait for the women to come and do all the hard and heavy lifting. And that's what it says. It says they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their dad's flock. And then the shepherds come and drive them off. And Moses is there and he, again, he's, he's got a little bit of righteous indignation. It rises up and he stands up and he helps these ladies and he waters their flock. He drives the shepherds away. And he pushes them back. And, and then when they came to the, the father, when the, the ladies come back to their dad, it must have happened a common thing because he said, how is it that you come so soon today? Why are you home so early? They said, well, there was, they said, no, listen, they said, there was an, an Egyptian that delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds. 
And you see right now that God brings Moses out of Egypt. But it's going to take a little while to get Egypt out of Moses. Because when, they, when he came to the well, the, the ladies didn't understand that really Moses was a Hebrew. But he had lived in Egypt so long that he had become accustomed to their ways. He dressed like an Egyptian. He talked like an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian. So when he helped out these ladies that were really his, come on, his kinfolk, that when he helped them out, when they came back home to tell their dad what happened, they said, an Egyptian helped us out. Moses had become so much ingrained in the attitude and the ideas and the ways of Egypt that, that we begin to see, now we understand why God's bringing Moses out of Egypt because he has got to get Egypt out of Moses. We know who Moses is going to be. We know what Moses is going to become. But before that, God's got a process of removing some things that are in Moses' life. God's got to change him. God's going to transform him. And God does this work very systematically. It's not a secret in scripture. It's not, it's not hidden. It's just over and over again. The desert is part of the process for God to define who you are. And we hate the desert and we don't like the desert. It's not comfortable in the desert, but God has us there because there's something he's going to do in our life. He's going to make us somebody in those moments. And we see that God brings him into this place and he gets a wife out of the deal. He's brought back to Jethro's house, and he's given a, a wife, and they have a family, and, and, and Moses begins, and, and chapter 3 says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. The original language, backside, means the place of reversal. It's the unseen side. It's the place of turning. It's the point of being changed. I, I always wondered what, I mean, the desert's bad enough. I mean, let's just make it a little bit worse. Let's make it evangelistic. Let's call it the backside of the desert. I mean, the desert's bad, but let's just, let's just, let's just make it the worst possible place, the backside of the desert. I'm not trying to be crude or rude. I just heard myself. Let's go to the Hebrew. Let's not. Let's carry on. But here he is on this place in the desert. And if you look, if you were to find, it, as, it was at the base of Mount Horeb. And Mount Horeb, it was the place of desolation. It was the place of destruction. It was the place where things would be made waste. So it's literally one of the darkest, most difficult Places in the desert. That's where Moses finds himself. He finds himself, but it's also known as the turning point. It's the point when you get to the lowest that you can't go any lower. It's the point in the desert that's most difficult. It's the driest place. It's the most desolate place. There isn't any life there, and God brings Moses to this place. Anyone ever felt like you've been to that place where God just brings you to the place of impossibility, where you have no words to speak, where you've got no, no track to take, you've got no, no ability left to figure out what's going on, and all you can do is just put your head down and say, God, what are you doing right now? 
God, where have you taken me? Why have you brought me here? And I, I would just like to remind you because God is removing Egypt from your life. Over the season that God has you in the desert, you're not looking like an Egyptian any longer. You're beginning to talk different. You're beginning to walk different. You don't have the pride that you had when you left Egypt. You don't, you, come on, you're not looking to Egypt for your affirmation. You're not looking there for your ability. You're beginning to rely and your reliance comes to the point of looking to God. That's what happens in the desert. In the desert place, you begin, come on, the voices become strangely dim around you. God will bring people out of your life before he brings people into your life until you begin to hear the voice of God. And until you begin to know that God is working for you, you begin, God, God just brings you to that place of impossibility. God takes him to Horeb. Now, Horeb is going to be a powerful place in the future. Horeb is going to be where God gives the law to Israel. Horeb is going to be that mountain that they climb and God speaks to Moses. And it's going to be a place of communion. But that's not what it is right now. Right now, all it is is a place of desolation. That's all it is. That's just a place where, where nothing is growing. It's a place of difficulty. It's a place, it's a season of impossibility. But it's in that place. It was in that desert place where God said that there was a bush that was not being burned that got Moses' attention. I, I, got, a, I got a tree here. Just I'm going to turn it into a bush if that's okay. Don't worry, office staff, we'll fix it. But it was the bush that got Moses' attention because it was burning, but it wasn't being consumed. And Moses said to himself, let me turn aside and see this thing. He had activity. He, he probably was on his way out of that place because he didn't want to be there. But it was that bush that got his attention. And when he turned aside, it said that God said that when he turned aside, all of a sudden God began to speak. It said in verse 4 that when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see. When, when God saw that, that Moses was no longer so focused on his agenda. That when Moses was no longer focused on just where he was going and what he was doing. When, when all of a sudden he was willing for his agenda to be interrupted. It was in that moment that God said, uh-uh, now I can use Moses. Now. I can speak. And we talked last week how that <clears throat> the Hebrew word for Moses, Midbar, is it's a homonym in Hebrew. It's the same word as speech. The same word for wilderness is spelled the same as the word for speech. And, and it's in those moments where God can speak into our lives. That God begins to speak in the desert of our lives. God begins to speak to us. And if we'll, if we'll be careful enough to turn aside and say, you know, there's something happening right here. And, and I, I would believe that some of you are in the room this morning because you turned aside. You could have been anywhere else today. You could have been, been on your way to the cottage. You could have been on your way uh, ice fishing. Probably not, but hope not. You could have been anywhere. But here's what I know. You came to the house of God this morning. You came to the house of God this morning. You turned aside from whatever was on the agenda. You turned aside from whatever the activity could have been today. And you said, I, I think I'd like to go to church today. 
I don't know the reason why. I, I don't know why you're here, but here's what I do know that when you turned aside, God said, okay, now I can speak with them. Now I can talk to them. Now their ears inclined to hear my voice. I, I don't know. There may have been 50 other burning bushes before, but Moses never turned aside. He, he may have been too focused on his own agenda. He, he may have been too, uh, too focused on where he was going and what he was doing, but this time he saw the burning bush and he turned aside. And today we turned aside because God came to speak to somebody in this room this morning. You're no longer going to be defined by what you were, but God's going to to define who you're becoming. God is going to speak something into your life, and God's going to bring change, and God's going to bring transformation. God is going to transform somebody. He's going to define who you are. He's speaking in the room today. He may have spoke through the song service. He, he may have spoke by, by that <clears throat> display of worship and praise in spite of challenge by Brother Larry. He, he may have spoke to you through the dedication. He may, he may have, I don't know where God spoke. It may be in the sermon this morning, but God is speaking this morning. He's speaking. There was a weight of responsibility attached to this message today that I sensed in the Holy Ghost. And I'm praying that God would turn someone this morning. That God would turn somebody's life. That God would turn us around. I, I, I'd just like to remind you that, that God could have called Moses many things. Scripture says that, that God, you know, he, he called to Moses from the bush. He calls to Moses and, and he waits for his response. If we'll think back to that little, little ark made out of bulrushes that Moses was floating down the river and when... Pharaoh's daughter found him. She said, I'm going to call him Moses because I'm going to draw him out. But what she didn't realize is that God had it all planned because Moses is going to draw people out of Egypt. You see, that's what I'm talking about. People think that they're in control of your life, but God says, you know what, I'm just going to work it all out. I'm at work behind the scenes. I'm, I'm working the entire time on your life. That is why we're here together this morning. God could have called Moses many things. In that moment, God could have called him lawbreaker. God could have called him murderer because he was a murderer. God could have called him many things, but God called him Moses. He called him Moses because he knew the plan that he had for Moses' life. His holiness could have consumed him. The fire could have fell. The the one that looked like an Egyptian in the presence of God, he could have just been annihilated by God's holiness. But that's not who God was. God chose to reach him, and God chose to call him. Before we get too, come come on, too great in in our spirituality, and we begin to write people off, and we begin to put people in categories of saved or unsaved or unsavable or unreachable, I tell you what, God says, let me call them by name this morning. Let me take a moment and begin to declare something into their life. Not what you see over their life right now, but I want to call them by name. I want to call them into the future that I've prepared for them. I'm not defining them by what they've done. I'm not defining them by their failure. I'm not defining them by their past. I'm going to define them by their future, but that only happens in the desert. And God will bring you to desert places so that he can define who you are. He brought him to Horeb. This would be the pivot point for Moses. It would be a turning point for humanity in the future. But that holy ground that he was on was going to change his life. The call of God that was going to come was going to be inexcusable. He wouldn't be able to ignore it. He wouldn't be able to bring all the excuses. He tried. He said, I can't. 
But I love that God called him by name. God called him by name, and, and we love skipping to the verse because we're one God people. We love skipping to the verse about this is who you say sent, who am I going to say sent me? I am that I am. And, and I love preaching it too. But before Moses asked who God was, Moses said, Who am I? In the verse. His first question to God was, Who am I? He didn't understand who he was. And God needed to define to Moses because Moses could have defined himself by all of his failure. He had a lot of it. Moses could have defined himself as his Egyptian heritage. He, he could have defined himself as Pharaoh's son. He could have defined himself as one of the palace and one of the Egyptian royalty, but he didn't understand who he was. There was a crisis of identity that was happening in Moses' life. He did not know who he was. And we're facing that in our generation. We're facing a generation right now. There are some of our youngest generation. They don't know who they are. They don't understand what, what they are. But can I tell you that God knows exactly who you are. And God has a plan for our lives. God's going to speak promise over you before he puts you in that place of defeat and failure. Who am I? Was Moses' first question. That's why God called him Moses. I'll tell you who you are, Moses. You're a deliverer. I tell you who you are. You're one that I'm going to use. I tell you who you are. You're one that's going to march into Pharaoh's. And God begins to outline it all for him. He said, you're going to go in before Pharaoh. He's going to refuse you at first. But I tell you what, we got some things in mind. We got them, some things in plan. We're, we're going to work it all out. And, and at the end of it, the children of Israel are going to march out of Egypt. God outlines the whole plan for Moses, but God doesn't outline the plan until Moses is on that backside of the desert in that impossible place. And God is speaking to someone this morning. You're in an identity crisis. You, you know who you're not, but you don't know who you are. But God begins to work with Moses, and we can come back to the music this morning. God begins to work with Moses. He begins to help Moses define who he is. I'm going to get a, hang on, i got a walking stick back here. Thank you, Marcus. But that <clears throat> rod that was in Moses' hand, God's going to use what you've already got. Someone say Amen. God's going to use what you've already got right now. He said, what do you have in your hand? He said, I got a rod. He said, put it on the ground. And when it, put, when it was on the ground, it all of a sudden it became a serpent. And Moses, because he's still filled with fear, runs the other way. And God's got to get his attention. And God said, whoa, 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 go back and pick it up by the tail. And when he picked it up by the tail... All of a sudden, it becomes a staff. Just pretend with me that that's what happened. Because we don't want it to really happen. And God begins to help Moses understand that there is more than the natural. And that there is more than just you working here. I am working for you. And your ability to define yourself doesn't come by what you've done or what you haven't done or what you shouldn't have done. Your ability to define yourself is when I call you by name. I'm calling you, Moses. 
and I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you with your insecurities, and I'm going to use you with your inabilities. I'm going to use you with your flawed past and your imperfect history. I'm going to use you, Moses. I, I'm going to, to use the, the rod that's in your hand. I'm, I'm going to use ability that you've already got. All you've got to be doing is, is all you've just got to be willing. That's all you've got to be, Moses. Just, just be willing. Be willing to let my voice lead. Be willing to let me lead. And God begins to unveil who Moses is to Moses. Before he ever makes his way to the court of Pharaoh, he, he's going to have been with God on, on that place, that impossible place of the desert. And God is going to begin to reveal himself to Moses and he's going to reveal Moses to Moses. He said, Moses, put your hand in your bosom. He put his hand and he pulled it out and it was leprous. He said, put it back in again. He puts it back in. And no doubt he checked it a lot quicker. And it was made whole. God was going to use him. Imperfect, flawed Moses. Moses, who's been running in fear for 40 years, and Moses, who's, come on, he was a warrior, he was a fighter, he had a little bit of fight in him, he, he, I don't know how many shepherds were there at the well, but he fought them down, he's a worker, he's a, he's a good guy, but he's just, he's just got, he's just got his flaws, he's got his error, he's got his mistake, but, but God said, Moses, I'm going to help you define yourself in the desert, it happens in the desert place. Get ready, Moses. You're going to see some incredible things. There's going to be ten plagues, and there's just, it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. But, but I tell you what, at your hand, I'm going to bring deliverance to a nation. And there are people that are right here in the room this morning. That if you'll hear and recognize the voice of God, he's identifying you as a deliverer today. And God's going to use you greatly. But first we've got to turn aside. First we've got to realize it's his call that's hearing, that we're hearing in our ears. It's his voice that's calling your name this morning. Come on, you should never have made it this far. You already know that. God's hand's already been on your life. The enemy tried to destroy you, but you're still here. Maybe it was in infancy. Maybe it was in the crazy teen years. Maybe it was in young adult life. I don't know where it was, but here's what I do know. You realize as we're preaching today that God's been ordering steps all along the way. And what should have happened didn't happen because God said, I've got a plan for their life. I've got a purpose for them. They're going to, they're going to be a deliverer. They're going to be used greatly by me. And God is just pausing in the service today to let you know I want to use you. You can search for Moses in most Bible dictionaries and you'll find that he's the lawgiver for Israel. You won't find that he's the lawbreaker even though he was. Because when God begins to work in your life, he begins to redefine who you are. Aren't you grateful for a God like that? No wonder the psalmist said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Because I tell you what happens. Here's humanity. Humanity turns around. And what we intend on seeing is all the wrong that we have done. Because we've cataloged it well. We remember our failures very, 
very well. But if we realize that mercy and truth, mercy and, come on, goodness and mercy are following us all the days of our life, before we look at all of the past and we look at all of the wrong, all of a sudden God says, hang on, let me, let me just bring goodness and mercy into the equation. And we can look back and say, God, you are working. You love me in spite of how stupid I was. You love me in spite of all the wrong that I did. You love me in spite of the sin. And I, I'm not trying to just cover and say sin is all right. It, it's not. It's not all right. It's wrong. But God says, I'm going to take who you are, and I'm going to allow you to redefine who you're becoming. That's what God does in lives. And so this morning, I just came to encourage somebody because life's been a desert. But that's not there to destroy you. The desert is there to define you. Could you stand together with me this morning? God working for our good. You know, just think about Moses' life. It's his own mom that ends up in the palace nursery right there at the table of Pharaoh. God was feeding the deliverer that was going to destroy Pharaoh's army. We can see God's hand at work from the very beginning. But it comes to that point where God is waiting for Moses to turn aside. And this morning, I'm encouraging someone, it's time to turn your life Around This is holy ground this morning. While, we, while we're getting prepared to, to get ready to go, I wonder if we would just kind of put a hold on all of our mental ideas. And, and I wonder if we would just begin to realize that we're standing on holy ground this morning. We're standing in a place where God transforms lives. We're standing in a place that these altars, God, has turned people away from sin and given them direction and given them hope and given them a future. And God isn't finished doing it yet. God is still at work doing that kind of work in this room. This is a place of anointing and this is a place of appointing. This is a place of turning. The baptismal waters are full today because I believe that God is going to take somebody's life and turn them around. God's just asking, what do you got in your hand? What abilities do you want to put in my hand? What, what can I use that you've got? I want to use your life to change the world that you're living in. And all of a sudden, the desert doesn't seem so purposeless. The, the sand doesn't seem so useless in the desert. It doesn't seem like an impossible place any longer. I tell you why. Because if you bring the God of all possibility into the equation, the impossibility goes out the back door. And God says, watch what I can do in your life. <laughs> Pastor Matt called. He said, you... you, you he said a statement last week, he said about the desert defining you. He said, I, I don't even know. He said, but I, I was thinking about it becoming how that sandpaper, it's just the sand. The desert sand becomes that thing that God uses in our life to shape us and form us and knock off some rough edges. Darcy, you got some rough edges. Not a lot, but, you know. None that I know. God will take that and just kind of knock the rough edges off. God will begin to change us, transform us. And sand is, not only is it used in sandpaper, you know, sand under pressure and sand under heat, it becomes glass. And what seemed impossible, all of a sudden, God can take and give you vision and protection. Oh, we're just, we're stretching a little bit, but I'm telling you, the desert's not all bad. 
When God comes into the equation because God can take the impossible and God can take the hated thing and God can use it for our benefit and our good. He just needs someone to say, God, I'm willing. Here's the rod in my hand. Here's the ability that I've got, but I'm putting it in your hand. And let's see what you're going to do. You're going to change lives. You're going to change futures. You're going to change cities. You're going to change nations. Come on. Somebody prophesy with me this morning. God's going to use people to change people's lives. That's what I know today. That's what I know today. It's the powerful sand particles that become sandstorms. I, I thought it was just the wind whipping sand around, but a little scientific study tells us that it's the actual sand in the air that collides with one another, and, and then all of a sudden sand becomes three times more powerful than just uh, just little particles in the wind. It's the sand that, that there's little tiny explosions that happen in the air. And then it multiplies its efforts and its ability and its power. I'm telling you, God's got a purpose for the sandstorm in our life. It's going gonna, it's gonna to destroy some things that Egypt had. It's going to tear some things off of us. It's going to remove them, and it's going to replace something with power and authority. Moses didn't come out of the desert looking like an Egyptian. He came out looking like a man of God. He may not have had any shoes left on his feet, but he had a power with him. He had a purpose attached to his life. He walked different. He talked different. He had the plan and the mind of God. And I'm saying that somebody can leave this morning different than the way that you came we're going to pray together in just a moment but God's call is here today God's wanting to change you, transform you His voice is speaking it's your burning bush moment this is your call, it's time to turn aside it's time to turn around it's time to leave Egypt behind it's time to go into the plan that God has for you come on Moses, where are you? I'm going to open the altar. But I wish someone would realize that this is holy ground today. Anybody willing to turn aside this morning? Anybody going to say, I'm going to leave this chair, but by the time I get to that altar, God, I'm putting it in your hand. Here's my rod. Here's my hand, God. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost right now.
I hear, I hear his voice. The gifts of the Spirit operate in moments like these to give us understanding and for the edification of the church. And I wonder if someone would respond to the call that God is giving in the room this morning. If you would leave your seat and join us at the front, from the front to the back, from the left to the right. We're going to pray together and we got some people that can pray for people. But really, it's the voice of God speaking this morning. If you're coming, would you come close? I want to leave room for, for everybody this morning. If we could just crowd to the very front, and we could come from the front to the back. Come on, God's changing lives this morning. If you believe it, we need it. If you could pray wherever you are right now. Lord, we hear your voice. Echoing in these walls this morning, God, your call. Your call to challenge us. God, your great desires for us to become people identified by your name, called by your name. And God, your, your ability to take every life and use it. God, everyone, I pray as we begin to sing, God, as we begin to pray that you would begin to transform lives and begin to define. God, we refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We refuse the identity that Egypt would place over our life. We refuse, God, all of those things. But, Father, today we just want to be called by your name. We just want to hear your voice. God, we want to be defined this morning. God, by your power, by your words. I give all.